0: lithium-ion rocks season one episode 10 another tricky day that is the who as in who can it be now ken Brinson and the third and final segment of our interview a couple of weeks ago we also have fast markets price reporter martin fasada on the heels of their Shanghai conference, in which he wrote with his colleagues some seven key takeaways, of which he shares some of those and other questions that uh, Rodney asked uh, very specifically on pricing.
1: What year do you think that demand for hydroxide is going to exceed
2: carbonate? So I'm, let's say, as a price reporter, I'm not allowed to actually comment on this, but I can share with you the insights of my colleagues that hydroxide is becoming the most popular lithium chemical compound. My colleagues, they think that at least 2023, 2024, we won't see hydroxide becoming the most used lithium compound in the world.
1: At what point do you see battery chemical supply shortfall
2: emerging? I believe um, the market will be oversupplied for a while in the, in the next couple of years. So the shortfall might happen towards um, 2023 potentially, right by the same time when you know hydroxide will become the most used compound.
0: We are recording this at the tail end of a long Easter week. Many people away for the holidays, but. A busy week coming up. Uh, Minds and Money has their conference in New York. Uh, There's a panel I'm speaking on with a few others on the lithium industry. That's Wednesday. Then uh, Benchmark Minerals has their Washington, D.C. event on Thursday. So look forward to participating in that venue. Benchmark Minerals is also kicking off their world tour with a New York visit uh, the following week and a number of cities in North America thereafter. And soon, attention will be turning to Chile, the big Chile and the little Chile. Fast Markets' flagship 11th annual lithium supply conference is taking place in Santiago. I've been to each of the last three, which, uh, two of which were in Las Vegas, one of which was in Quebec, Looking forward to my fourth. In between Martim and Ken interview, Rodney has done some of his own work on supply-demand and has some of his commentary on how he sees the the broader and sub-segments of the lithium chemical and mineral markets. We're going to start with Fast Markets. Martim Fasada, I'll just warn you, another tricky day for you this is no social crisis, it stems from the fact that fast markets alongside Canaccord, alongside City, have put into the market relatively pessimistic price forecasts for the near and even medium term. We'll see if they are correct. But uh, there are a number of actors in the space, in the spa main market, who can turn on, turn off. Is Albemarle, with Wajina, the swing spodumene supplier, could, if they wanted to, put Galaxy's Mount Catlin out of business with aggressive spodumene sales over the next two years while ramping up their chemical plant. Or will they just sit on inventory? You know, they'll produce and, you know, suffer all that working capital cost. I don't know. From a very high level,
1: we're seeing supply and demand numbers coming out from analysts on a very aggregated basis and not differentiating at all, so still on a relatively high level basis, uh, what sort of percentage of new production or new lithium compounds being produced in 2019 do you
2: see as battery grade? Most of the new production coming online will target to be battery-grade and will eventually be there. The majority of the new lithium capacity being added to China, either lithium carbonate or hydroxide, is supposed to be battery-grade. Most of the new converters, in the first months of production, they come up with a quasi-battery-grade material, but not usable by all the battery makers. In China, at least, uh, the feeling uh, between producers and consumers is that there is enough battery-grade out there for everyone. So, two years ago, this situation was Totally the opposite. So, if you wanted to buy battery-grade carbonate or hydroxide, you had many difficulties because there was not enough uh, material available. Today, if you want to buy a container, you can do it. There is plenty of people in China uh, with with stock to sell. In particular, uh, lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxides supply and demand is a bit more tight and more balanced over the past year. You definitely had enough battery grade uh, to to supply the whole industry, uh, and that's that's one of the reasons why prices came down. So, the qualification. process Process tends to take at least six months, typically a year. Even the new expansions happening in Atacama these days, uh, the new material coming on stream will have to be qualified. Things are not as easy as they seem. We know today that they will be producing more or less the same um, amount of material as last year. In China, is a bit um, is a bit different as well. So. Um, you have a lot of battery grades being produced from hard rock. The feedback companies are, are giving in China is you know six to a year um, time period for qualification, and that actually the 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 the. Pr- production of battery-grade hydroxide and carbonate from hard rock has a bit more consistency in quality of product. Typically, when a converter manages to produce this type of material, it's easy, it, it, it's easy to allocate in a market because you know consumers, consumers in Japan or Korea, for instance, they are less susceptible to not being able of intaking new material. From the, the Spodrum Concentrate side, we've seen
1: some delays. Pilbara Minerals is now looking to find a minority stakeholder and they've spoken about delaying Stage 2 to late 2020. Altura, I guess, the same. And in the first quarter, Galaxy only sold 15,000 tonnes of 42,000 in production. Do you see some of
0: the oversupply risk abating while these Stage 2s, etc are sort of
2: stalled? What I think happening in the market today, we have a lot of Spodamine, but converters are as well adjusting to the requirements of their customers, meaning that if their customers decelerate in consumption, they actually hold on a bit to purchase or increase their consumption of Spodamine. So we had the Chinese New Year. So that typically decelerates always the consumption of lithium compounds in China. I'm not sure if that's related to Galaxy lower sales. I mean, they sell everything to China mostly. So that could be right because we're talking about two to three weeks of very slow trade activity in the region. Demand fundamentals are there. Prices came down. Prices as well. The lower carbonate prices against which spodamine prices are calculated. They have affected the negotiations between converters in China and spodamine uh, producers in Australia. And this has made, you know, some of the converters actually just to hold off for three to six months before buying more material because they want to pay cheaper prices. And obviously this is arming some of the mines. I wouldn't say all, but the fact is that the first symptom is that one of the mines that was operating a euro go has to shut down
1: cost of production seems to be remaining quite high so Mm -hmm. is there a a flaw is to how low spodument prices can go before either more companies stop production or converters
2: simply won't pay the floor prices. When you look at the, the converters' perspective, think that they have to sell their material in China. Over the past months, we saw them actually exporting that abroad into Japan or Korea or even overseas. They have to sell, but mostly in China. If they had an, an agreed price a year ago, that would enable them to make, let's say, money in $12 per kg inside China. If today the price is $7 per kg or $8 per kg, Inside China, obviously, they have to reduce the spodumene price, which is their prime, their raw material used yes. in the in the conversion. That has been the struggle the last six months struggle between the converters and the, the spodumene producers in Australia to actually decide the, the perfect price. Most of the mines operating currently have different production costs in the region. It's agreed is that prices below $550 per ton are not healthy for the spodumene makers. Somewhere between $500 and $600, and $600 per ton, the threshold. Where some of the spodumin makers will start having difficulties. The higher cost guys, you know, stopping operations, producing lower, less material, maybe um, decreasing as well sales. We might see a bit of that in the next few months if the, if the situation persists with the low prices.
1: That's sort of my read. I'm not sure what you have as conversion costs, but let's call it eight tons at, at 500 is 4,000 plus a conversion cost of two and a half plus VAT. I'd be interested for you to shed some light as to how the industry can survive with prices at seven to $8,000 at a tonne
2: shouldn't forget that actually prices remain in the double of what they traditionally were three to four years ago. So prices are high. It's important to point out that so rock is today the, the most common source of raw material used for lithium chemical compounds. The battery makers need that material. It definitely gives a more robustness to the to the price because the battery makers if they don't buy from the converter in China, where will they buy their material from? If they have to wait three years for other operations to scale up, they wouldn't be produced, they will not be able fulfilling the demand they have from the automakers in Europe and China. Spontane is there and will be there, and it's necessary because how fast as well these operations ramp up. If we'll see producers in Australia facing difficulties or even some of them stop operations, let's say we yet to see. Uh, but uh, the fact is that the industry will see will need these uh, operations because uh, otherwise you don't have from where to produce lithium carbonate and hydroxide.
0: extent that you have large, high-grade spodumene mines, Altura and Pilbara, they have long-term customers who are part of their supply chain. Is there or price premium for a Pilbara or an Altura or something that's making this SE6 the low impurities? Could there be a situation where we see something like a Galax be unprofitable and, and shut down because Albemarle with Wajina, higher quality, more consistent, seen as a better option?
2: And that's a really good question. The way how the spodumene price is calculated typically takes into account the the end product. So let's say if you're selling that to a carbonate converter, they'll be taking into account the carbonate price or if it's hydroxide converter, the same story. What plays into the price is as well the impurities, as you said. So in Australia, 6% is the benchmark and pretty much everyone is aiming at producing 6%. If it's 5.9%, the material will be, let's say $10 or $15 cheaper. The trend is the 6%. Companies that don't reach that type of material are definitely more exposed to actually being paid less. Lower prices will will affect them more directly than, let's say, the producers of 6% material.
0: And that concludes our section with Martim Fasada at Fast Markets, and a reminder that Fast Markets are hosting their 11th annual lithium supply conference in Santiago, Chile on June 10th and 11th. Up next is part three of our interview with Ken Brinsden, where we talk further about price, um, but uh, not Fast Markets. In your scoping study report, you had commissioned Roskill, who I think forecasted carbonated hydroxide prices, uh, rest of the world, and domestic, and your offtake agreements with your uh, customers are, are, are tied to that. And I think they went out to 2027. What I found interesting about that was that they are forecasting... Chinese prices of carbonate and hydroxide to be higher than rest of world prices over you know, for a lot of that period, and also continued uh, hydroxide premium to carbonate uh, that that's been a subject of debate whether or not that premium the price premium is going to remain. Could you comment on on that the China price being higher and also your your view on the the price premium or or not for hydroxide.
3: No, both questions are. The China price being higher than the international price, I would argue, is really just a reversion to the norm. It's really only in the last, uh, well, actually, not even 12 months that the arbitrage in pricing has gone the other way, i.e. international pricing, higher than the Chinese domestic price. If you trace historical data, you'll find universally, actually, that the China price was always higher than the international price. And I don't have any particular reason to suggest that's actually not normal. And it's probably normal for a couple of reasons. Firstly, you could could argue that demand had been higher in the China market as they supported new new battery-making facilities, Um, but also that that at least a small amount of that product might end up finding its way into international markets and then the effect of VAT. And I'd argue that that now potentially becomes even more important as the Japanese and Korean markets continue to rely on some of that export capacity. So that's the way I think broadly about the lithium chemicals market and the the um, dynamic uh, you know, price price domestically in China versus uh, ex-China. But then another overlay is that because the pricing dynamic in China domestically is much more, it's much shorter dated inevitably it will be more volatile than international markets. That's another sort of common thread. To your question about hydroxide versus carbonate and the sort of entrained premium, my view would be that uh, most circumstances in the future that there shouldn't really be a hydroxide premium? And if there is, it would simply be a function of demand in that subset of the lithium raw materials market rather than it being a function of cost, which would have been the historical norm. Uh, cost being the cost conversion of brine source supply or carbonate into hydroxide. I think a much more a well-defined sort of supply chain will emerge. Uh, you know, a low-cost hard rock supply, direct conversion to hydroxide with a twist at the back of those plants to to make carbonate should it be required by the carbonation process. And the effect of all that, and because of the cost of the hard rock supply chain through to hydroxide, there shouldn't really be a natural premium. If there is, it's really going to be a function of where the demand is in, in the respective
0: markets. Interesting. So Ken is agreeing with uh, many others and logically it would seem to make sense if you have a large volume of hydroxide from hard rock being produced uh, and it's cheaper to produce it that way, that there should be no justification for a premium of hydroxide uh, unless there's excess demand. And I believe there's going to be this extra demand. Everything that I'm hearing, in particular, I remember hearing from Sam Jaffe, a battery expert that said, uh, you know, in the case of hydroxide being the same price as carbonate, it may substitute for carbon in some LFP and other battery applications. The growth in hydroxide is just much, much faster because it's coming from a low base. And the hydroxide plants that are being built in Camerton, Quinana, by Tangxi Albemarle and in the Pilbara by Mineral Resources in Albemarle, nothing's been tried at that scale ever, and in Australia. Rodney has some views on supply and demand, factoring in that consideration and others, which he's going to share with you now uh, before we conclude with the last couple of questions from Ken Brinsden.
1: Supply and demand forecasts are still out of touch with history and the lessons of the past like delays, ramp-ups, and quality issues. The differences in my model versus bank and broker analysts are subtle but important. On the demand side, I'm pleased to see that forecasts are starting to converge towards the same place. The only standout difference I still have is energy storage solutions. Hopefully, as battery prices fall further, we will again converge to the same estimates for the sector. This demand differential isn't that critical when we look out as far as 2025, as most forecasts have the market in a supply deficit by then. Where we aren't seeing things in the same light is supply and specifically the timing and magnitude of supply growth rates. On the brand side, the market has a fair handle on what to expect and companies like SQM outline their attentions and forecasts clearly. We also know the progress of Livent, Orecobras, Phase 2, etc. quite well. The issue is around hard rock. In my opinion, the most relevant reference point is green bushes. The best hard rock deposit in the world, delivering the most consistent product to Albemarle and Tanshi. Two of the largest chemical projects, Quinana and Kematin, are sourcing their feedstock from green bushes and both expect to ramp up slowly. I've heard phases like responsible marketing being used with reference to Tang Quinana. If Kematin and Quinana are going to ramp up slowly, then other new integrated projects that are relying on greenfields for and concentrate supply and have new chemical plants are definitely going to take longer than anticipated. If you add up all these new greenfield operations, pair the grades, impurities, and the consistencies of these factors across the resource, along with the chemical capacity targets relative to historic operations, then it's almost guaranteed that actual versus projected production disappointments are headed our way. Yet despite this evidence, analysts continue to forecast insane oversupply estimates, some between 100 and 150,000 metric tons in the next two to three years. It's madness. There's no factual evidence or historic precedent to support these forecasts. On the contrary, the facts are telling you the exact opposite is likely to happen. That's what I'm going with. Even my numbers that have temporary and modest oversupply estimates, 3,000 tons, in other words, 100,000 tons below market forecasts, are susceptible to downgrades, especially if we have unforeseen political issues arising on top of technical challenges. If you split out the 20 to 40,000 oversupply numbers into hydroxide and carbonate, and into the various categories and markets, the impact will be limited for some segments. Plus, demand forecasts are usage-based, and we are, and we could see inventory builds in ex-China markets at cathode and battery cell and pack level adding to orders. I'm sure our listeners have noted that certain batteries are in short supply. If we think about About chemical oversupply from an industry incumbents' perspective for a moment. Is Albemarle, after just having committed to paying approximately $40,000 per tonne of installed capacity at Wajina, going to dump Spodumine concentrate and or do a fast ramp-up and risk chemical supply coming into the market at well below $10,000 a tonne? To achieve two times its weighted average cost of capital, Albemarle's target return for investments. My model says that they need lithium hydroxide prices at $14,000 a ton, given 80% capacity utilization. At $8,000 a ton, it's a bloodbath. They're not the only ones who need elevated chemical prices. There are plenty of projects that have to justify $15,000 plus per ton of capex cost linked to shorter mine lives. Is there a risk to my thesis? Yes, there is most certainly a risk. Chinese chemical producers have low OPEX costs at five to $6,000 a tonne or less. They also have shorter planning permission and construction timetables, and in certain cases some of them enjoy cheap funding. The operating margins that Chinese operations can work on, given the above, are much lower than Aussie operators. Plus, they aren't tying up as much capital, which means they can recycle profits quickly into further expanding their production bases. If they keep accessing Swadjiman concentrate material from Oz and elsewhere and process this material regardless of end market demand, then we could have a problem. As it happens, Swadjiman concentrate producers are having issues, mostly with fines and recoveries aren't where they should be, and we're seeing cost of production suffer as a result. Kudos to Pilbara and others for delaying expansion plans for the moment. As long as incumbent wadjumin concentrate producers continue on their current trajectory and wadjumin material is managed sensibly, I'm of the view that supply won't run away from us. Essentially, my supply forecasts are similar to the analysts, except that they're delayed by one year. It doesn't sound like much, but with demand growth averaging at 20-plus percent a year, a year's delay is all that's needed to see the broad chemicals market more or less balanced. By segment within the broad market, we haven't covered the arrival of Tesla and other foreign original equipment manufacturers into China, and BW securing battery-grade hydroxide from Ganfen. But that's a topic we can cover another time.
0: In the the supply and demand of spodumene 6% that's actually meeting 6% grade versus not meeting that grade, and also in the chemical market meeting battery grade versus non-battery grade, do you see... I know you have a lot of iron ore experience and, um, you know, the price spread based on quality in both of those products.
3: Yeah, as the market matures, I have no doubt that um, you will start to see, you know, the industry term is a value and use emerge. And, and the concept is meant to capture um, all those costs that an end user might have to outlay when they think about buying a product. Some things will impact the cost of chemical conversion and as such that cost will eventually be reflected in the price prepared to pay for the spot chain. That's why we've always been big believers in the quality of the product being a key driver. So hence our, our determination to um, to deliver the benchmark product, i.e. You know, 6% for chemical grade markets and and low iron and, and low mica and all the other good things that come with a good spodumene product. And equally that you attract a premium if you're participating in technical grade markets because you're able to, to get a, you know, a high quality technical grade product. So those overlays, those value use equations are coming. I think it's inevitable. And hence our, our desire that, um, that Pilbara Minerals to be a, you know, another benchmark product. And yeah, I think that's, that's a natural evolution for the industry. Uh, one that'll be driven by the continued determination of the battery industry to drive quite a way through the supply chain.
0: Iron ore to lithium or spodumene 6 to, to iron ore, 62% or 65%. Like, Why does it make sense to vertically integrate in, in lithium? Why can't Pilbara and mineral resources you know, be like Rio and BHP? Uh, in this market, you know, and is it because lithium's a specialty chemicals business and steel isn't? And if you believe that's the case, you know, what does specialty, you know, mean? What's a commodity versus you know not a commodity?
3: So I have no hesitation in describing uh, the lithium raw material supply chain as an industrial mineral supply chain. People are people are buying your product for a specific. Reason and and the and that they are aligning their chemical process to the nature of your feed and and I think that that dynamic is, exists um, well actually all the way through the, the um, supply chain to a to a lithium ion battery in a pack and 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 in so doing it. it it, it inevitably forces people to think about enduring supply and quality of supply. And that then forces people to think about how they, how they can establish relationships. And the relationships can be multifaceted. They can be, they can be just off-take, um, but equally it could be off-take and ownership. And, and I think the, that when people start to, to link the two, that um, the driver is security in the supply chain. That's that's definitely a, a factor. Um, but equally, it could be about the cost of that supply. Uh, and 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 it's all it's in a big melting pot. It's not any one thing that's necessarily going to tip people over the edge. as they think about more vertical integration. Um, they're going to be considering many factors in in, in making those decisions. Uh, I'd like to think that, that Pilbara Minerals has recognised this dynamic, um, you know, fairly early in the piece and we've done our best to integrate with the right customers, those people that are already participating in the battery industry. Uh, and then, and then uh, more recently, crystallising the options that we have to participate in chemical facilities so that we can deepen those relationships uh, and the reality is, we would like to do more of it, and that's that's what's motivated us to um, to launch the, the partnering process that we discussed earlier. Uh, I, I I'm sure a lot of analysts uh, and and a lot of investors still think about the lithium raw materials world as being commoditized, um, but I think that is a gross simplification for the way the industry actually works, and. And over time, people will come to appreciate it is a specialty chemicals business, Uh, it has an element of the mining to it, but fundamentally driven by the combination of quality in the supply chain and then the other dynamic I also believe is is very real, that that, um, equity markets at least not are recognising in the short term, and that's the, the... the um you know precipitous demand growth that's going to force the, lithium, the pool of lithium raw material supply to grow substantially in the coming in the coming five to ten
0: years. In talking about uh, chemical conversion in Western Australia, you have Kemerton and Quinana, and you now have Albemarle and mineral resources saying that they're going to build. In the Pilbara, and we've discussed this for a while. I, I visited uh, last year yourselves and an Altura, and it's a quite remote mining place, uh, not particularly super populated. You know, a lot of fly in, fly out of mining workers. So I was just always wondering, chemical engineers and and, and that kind of skill set in the Pilbara versus. Aquinana or Kemerton wood mineral resources actually maybe change their mind and 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 ship it to Kemerton and when it comes to you've talked about it could possibly your partner could be in Australia and it could be elsewhere could you just help us think about I guess the the Pilbara region as a chemical hub versus others
3: it doesn't immediately fit the the bill as a chemical hub because of the dearth of other chemical activity, you know, in the Port Headland region especially. Um, there is more sort of as you head out towards the Karata region and, and the west coast of the Pilbara. But that doesn't mean you should should immediately discount it. It just means that the dynamics that, that drive a decision to put facilities in that location are potentially a bit different. If you were to think about what the base criteria are that, that you're looking to leverage in the establishment of a Commercial facility, it's all about the combination of many things. One being there is other chemical activity in the region, but that's not the only thing. What other chemicals are available for, for input and the cost of those chemicals? How do you deal with the byproducts that you will inevitably produce as a function of your chemical activities? Of course, there's the proximity to the mine and, and the, the question of transport of the product, cost of energy, available water supply, what other incentives might exist to to construct facilities in that location? So local government support, state government support, federal government support? It's unfortunately one of those questions, Howard, that you, you, there is no easy answer. It, it, it's a function of so many things that are going to motivate your decision as to the location of that plant. But when I think about the relationship with POSCO, I, I believe a key motivator for them is the combination of their home market, obviously being Korea, their proximity to to the battery making facilities or cathode materials and battery making facilities. Another dynamic for POSCO is the protection of their IP. They have an innovative process that's going to create a, or is Creating a very high-value, or we argue, a very high-value product, sort of industry-leading quality. They're interested in in protecting the the very hard work and the hundreds of millions of dollars they've spent to develop those um, those technologies. And actually, for all those reasons, we're also very happy to be working with them in the development of that facility. So yeah, that's a that's an important part of our growth. And good on Posco for for the good work they've done for lithium generally, and also their the, their desire to become the battery minerals champion grow Korea.
0: I'm glad you're bringing this up because that was going to be my last question. Pilbara started, when I watched it almost its inception, uh, it was very China-focused. Uh, and then POSCO kind of appeared. I called it the Great Wall of POSCO last year. I-, I had known them to be very much brine-focused with their POS LX. But you know, there's POSCO and then there's Korea Inc. Uh, I think you mentioned in. One of your press releases that Benchmark uh, Minerals was, was talking about 25% of capacity is going to be Korea. If you could just share thoughts on and Korea Inc., LG Chem, Samsung, and and their evolution in, in this, uh, you know, broadly and also vis-a-vis Pilbara and your other Chinese off partners.
3: The Chinese were the first movers in the modified supply chains that are emerging in in the lithium raw materials world, but in particular, um, the interconnection of hard rock supply to, and especially, hydroxide. Um, China was obviously the first mover there, and, and... and really able to leverage the technology that's available to them and the skills and operating expertise that that can take advantage of that raw material subset. The Koreans have started to recognise the opportunity in hard rock supply and especially with the um, move to hard rock and hydroxide. POSCO has the benefit of being able to overlay some sophisticated technology that that we would argue um, does a really good job of creating a, a very, very clean hydroxide product, which which will probably become industry-leading. And then you would sort of say, well, okay, well, why is that happening? Why is that happening in Korea? Well, Korea is the, the next big mover in lithium-ion that uh capacity after China. And what's happening there is you have the confluence of three things that, that um, mean Korea has become the focus for the global Uh, car manufacturers volume quality and technology and and that's the advantage that korea is bringing the table for for all the other car manufacturers outside of china they are the next big mover in volume battery contracts that are Carrying the right technology and the right quality. Everyone, the the Daimlers, the the VWs, the GMs, they're all crawling all over the Koreans trying to work out how they can get bigger and bigger battery contracts. And to the credit of the Koreans, they're responding in kind with with bigger and bigger facilities, Uh, including distributed facilities, by the way, not just in Korea. Yeah, you've really got to give them credit for, um, for the speakers which they're now moving. And I would say the same thing about POSCO. They are unique, almost uniquely placed to be a key raw material supplier to those Korean, you know, the big Korean battery companies uh, because of their skills at the front end of, of the lithium supply chain. Being able to deploy their technology, proven to work now because of the high uh, lift concentrations they can attract in the sulphate solutions. Via the hard rock supply, including Pilbara spodumene, and um, and their ability to turn that into a very pure hydroxide product. So, good on them for for the speed with which they're moving. And we really value the relationship with POSCO. They're really good people to be working with. Very clever, and and now dedicated to the cause of growing battery raw material supply to all those key Korean battery manufacturers that are distributing their batteries all around
0: the world. What are the considerations? I think late May is uh, the last announcement you made before making you know, final approval on the, on the POSCO. And if you would be so bold to kind of handicap the probability.
3: By all the efforts that they've put in, our observation would be that they're very determined. And I believe they're enjoying the relationship with Pilder and Minerals as well. Uh, as well as we are, so I'm optimistic that there's a great opportunity for both companies to to establish that alternate supply chain for for the lithium raw material into Korea. I think it's a very very good opportunity for Bilbera Minerals. We're a first mover in that space, and and I believe that's a very strong value add to, to our business, and and hence our desire to continue to look for for opportunities to grow the you know participation downstream. It, it makes a lot of sense for all the reasons I described earlier in the call.
0: The final thing I'll just say on that is there definitely seems to be a dichotomy in the market between just a, a, a pure mining, you know, spodumene producer, and a, a kind of a, a multiple to, to EBITDA that they would affix to that versus a downstream chemical company. And I have thought that the mineral resources and Albemarle joint venture gives mineral resources significant exposure to chemical prices. And likewise, 30% of 40,000 tons plan with Posco would be 12,000 tons right there as part of Pilbara's production. And that was before you announced this kind of partnering process. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, I think Mr. Market should, assuming it is finalized, uh, start to think of uh, Pilbara at least partially, and increasingly, you know, integrated downstream. In Lithium Ion Rocks, Lithium Ion Bull, and through our respective LinkedIn and Twitter posts, Rodney and I may share with our audience some rationale for a stock for which we have conviction to own or not to own. If you agree or disagree with and act on or against the rationale of anything said or written in this or any other lithium-ion rocks or lithium-ion bull, that's your free choice. But to be clear, what you are listening to or reading is not investment advice and may not be unbiased. It should not be construed as an investment recommendation to buy or sell any security. Rodney and I are not registered investment advisors nor broker-dealers. Please visit libull.com for further disclaimers.